Proverbs chapter 6, we've been working our way through it. We're in verse 19 this morning. I'm going to read verse 16 through 19 for context sake. We're looking at six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. And we are going to cover six and seven this morning, finish this little section, but we will continue in Proverbs 6, so I encourage you to spend some time in there. Let's thank God for the word this morning. How many are grateful for the word of God? Amen. Amen. What a blessing to us. Father, we thank you for the word, the instruction manual for living. Father, your word cover to cover reveals Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, you show us the work of the cross, Lord God. And we are so grateful this morning that you've given us a manual to live by. Holy Spirit, open up the truth of the passage that we cover today. Expose the gems and the principles to us so that we can apply them to our daily living. Lord, I think about what a privilege and honor it is for us to understand the word and to be able to live it daily. Father, let that be true in each of our lives, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Now, the first few verses here, we've covered all of this and should be a familiar to you there should be understanding of these topics it says these six things the lord hates yet seven are an abomination to him a proud look a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans feet that are swift in running to evil verse 19 our new material a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren Listen to verse 19 again. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. Now, the second thing that God said he hated was a lying tongue, and we covered that in detail in verse 17. Here in verse 19, we see that, you know, lying is covered for the second time. So it says here, a lying tongue, and we get that, we've covered it, but now a false witness who speaks lies. So two out of the seven things that God hates have to deal with lying. I hope that we understand that lying has no place in the life of a believer. And at the same time, you and I should walk in truth. We should reject lies, and we should be able to discern the lies that are around us. Christians are supposed to have discernment. We, are, we should be able to see Uh, by the Spirit of God, what is truth and what is a lie. Now, we're not always going to understand everything. We're not always going to be able to spot the truth every single time. And we're going to learn in this study that there are lies all around us. But two out of seven of the things that God hates have to deal with lying. So I hope that makes a pretty powerful point to each of us. Now, you say, what's the reason that God hates lying? There are three general reasons that God hates lying. Number one, Lying is in direct opposition to his nature. God is truth. Notice what I said. I didn't say God knows the truth. God has the truth. God can show. No, God is truth. And when we have God, then we have the truth in our lives. Amen. Jesus said what? We shall know the truth. All right. One preacher in the audience. All right. We shall know the truth. All right, three more. So truth, <laughs> truth is something that comes from God. God is the truth, and so he, his nature is truthfulness. God himself 
tells the truth all the time. God never tells partial truths or half-truths or, or a lie to manipulate people. You, you think, you know, some people who are good people and even good leaders sometimes tell partial truth because they don't think people can handle the truth. Well, don't say that out loud. People will run away like their hair's on fire. Leadership has to be willing to tell the truth. God tells the truth all the time, every time. Look, if you, don't, if you want to know how you look in a certain article of clothing, don't ask God. If you look like five pounds of potatoes in a two-pound bag, he's going to tell you. Sometimes people don't want to hear the truth, right? Just lie to me. Just, just, just lie to me. Oh, you look good. Did you lose weight? I got lighter shoes on today. But the truth is something that all of us should desire. It's something that God will always bring to us. And, you know, the truth told in love, even though it might sting at first in the long haul, it's the better option. There are so many people who believe lies, who build their lives on lies, at the end of their lives will be so sad that they fell for a lie. So lying is something that God hates because it's the opposite of nature. Number two, lying is something that God hates because it's the main characteristic of the devil. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. The scripture tells us that when he lies, that, that he, that's exactly what he does. You know, when the enemy speaks to you, he's always lying to you. So every time the devil says, you're, ne you're never going to amount to anything, he's lying. God's going to do something great with your life. Every time the devil says to you, you're not going to make it this time, you're, you're done, you're beat, you're quit. No, listen to me. He always lies. So every time he speaks to you, it's a lie. Now, the only time the devil deals with truth is when he mixes it with a little bit of a lie. He'll take the majority of truth and mix a little lie in with it. That, that's the foundation of every cult and every false religious system. There's a lot of truth there, but a little bit of a lie. And the lie always has to do with who Jesus Christ is. He's not a prophet. He's not Michael the archangel. He's not the spirit brother of Lucifer. He is God. He is the one and only name under heaven where which we must be saved. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The devil is a liar, and every time he speaks, he's lying. So God hates when people lie because they're imitating the devil. Who are you being like? Your father's truth. Tell the truth. The devil's a liar. Don't be a liar. The last reason God hates lying in general is this, because lying hurts and deceives people. If you've ever been lied to before, they promised you X, Y, and Z at work. I remember coming to a job where Pastor Mike, they promised me all these things. And on the first day I got there, all dressed up in my new clothes with my briefcase, they lied to me. All the things I was promised weren't happening. No raise, no health benefits, no this, no that. Woo. Feels good to be lied to, doesn't it? When people say, I'm going to do this for you, or I'm going to do that for you, or, you know, th there are children who are grown adults now that had parents lie to them that still remember it and are still mad. Let it go, let it go. But it's no fun to be lied to. Lying hurts people. Being deceived by a liar hurts people. It shatters the trust that we should have, and it leaves us suspicious of everyone. God never lies to us. 
God never promises us things he's not going to do. God never tells us half-truths to get us to do his will because if we knew the truth, we wouldn't. He always tells us the truth. And so he hates lying. That's why this says here he hates the lying tongue. And now in verse 19, he hates a false witness who speaks lies. Verse 19 speaks to a very specific type of lying. It speaks directly to the lies told by a false witness. So what does a false witness look like in the real world? It's the person who lies when they've sworn to tell the truth. It's the person who sits in a courtroom and puts their hand on the Bible and swears to tell the truth and nothing but the truth and then sits on the stand and completely lies. (laughs) And if you don't think that happens, it happens more often than not. We're a generation that doesn't take its oath seriously. We have people who swear to tell the truth and don't tell the truth, and they do that. Why? Because they want to convict the innocent or exonerate the guilty. It's a perversion of the justice system. And when people lie under oath, it it is an abomination to God, and he hates it because it disrupts our civil structure, and it makes people suspicious of the system. I want to talk about this more. Hang in there. We're just getting warmed up now, but you might want to buckle up your seats and fashion your chin straps. The person who lies, the person who puts their hand on the Bible and swears the oath of office and they swear, you know, to uphold the Constitution, so help me God. And then immediately uh, upon the, the taking of their office, they do everything within their power to destroy and subvert the Constitution. That's insanity that we've put up with that in our nation for this long, that we don't hold the political class accountable for anything they do. Things that would land you and I in jail, they do routinely and they scoff because they feel that they're above the law. And God looks down at that and it's a stench in his nostrils that people would lie to pervert justice, to entitle themselves to more power, to be above the law, and, and, and to think that they can get away with it when there's a God in heaven that sees it all. What does a false witness look like in our world today? The person who lies about another individual on the job or in the neighborhood or in the public square. Listen to me. Jesus himself had to put up with false witnesses. Do you realize they lied about Jesus as he stood before the high priest in the Sanhedrin? Here's Jesus, never sinned, never did one single thing wrong, always told the truth, and they bring all these fake accusations against him. Not only were they false witnesses, but that, that body, that the Sanhedrin, the, the lawyers, all of them, they actually looked for false witnesses to bring against him. They were planted there. They were there to collude against him. He charged him with all kinds of things like sedition, Oh, he said he's going to destroy the temple. Oh, he's upsetting the system. He's going to try and undermine Rome. And they stirred up all these things against him that they didn't understand, but it sounded good, and they wanted to falsely convict him so that they could pervert justice and murder the only innocent man that ever lived. Jesus put up with false witnesses. He understands the sting of it. Could you imagine him standing there listening to these accusations? And not defending himself. Some of you can't not defend yourself if someone, you know, accuses you of like eating the last piece of gum. You're ready to throw hands. 
Jesus stood there like a sheep dumb before his accusers, and these guys are hurling all these false accusations against him. And he just stood there, and he's like, hmm, okay. And they tore their clothes, and they convicted him, and they, they sentenced him to death and handed over to the Romans to crucify. The person who tells lies about another individual on the job in the neighborhood in the public square, the snake who fills the boss's ear with falsehoods in an attempt to promote themselves at your expense. Some of us have been lied about on the job. Some of us have had people try to, you know, cast shadows on our character or our work ethic or our consistency to promote themselves. And God sees that and God knows that even sometimes if we're not aware of it. The people we think are our friends are saying things behind our back to tear us down. Now you say, Pastor, why are you saying all this on Sunday morning? It's not happy or clappy. But it's the truth anyhow. And we should be aware of what's going on out there and how God feels about it because God says he hates a false witness. Now listen, not everybody who smiles at you is your friend. But there are those who try to shoot down the character of others. They, they try to tear others down. They're talebearers, gossips. They lie about others in an attempt to destroy their standing in the community to cast a shadow on their character so that people are suspicious of them. That's what a false witness looks like in the real world. Number three, a false witness is a person who, who uses the authorities in an attempt to weaponize government agencies against others. They lie to the police. They file a false police report. They say they were robbed or they say they were attacked or they say they were sexually assaulted. And it turns out to be a lie and a fabrication to destroy the character of another. Come on, full gospel center. Don't just look at me like I'm talking about science fiction. This happens all around us in our nation every day. And they print it on the first page. So-and-so did this. And then it's, it's shown to be a lie. And the person recants. And the person's not even charged with filing a false report. And the retraction is on page 92 of the paper. Oh, I wish I was preaching to some Christians this morning. See, if you love the truth, you'd get excited about this. Those of you who are out there looking uncomfortable mean there's something a little sketchy about you. I'm taking note. <laughs> I might be saved, but I'm still Sicilian. I'm from the Bronx. You know, and, and having discernment, being able to smell a lie and be able to spot sketchy character, these are, these are important things for us to have as Christians. But the person who weaponizes, you know, the IRS, the IRS just got 87,000 more agents to examine the taxes of every conservative Christian person and squeeze every nickel out, prepare to be audited. Now, some of you are just looking at me like, you don't know what I'm talking about, but some of us are going to know. Using government agencies, weaponizing them against others, the IRS, the, the police. How about child protective services filing false reports, accusing people of doing things that they never did? Why? To harass them. Uh, and, and this has happened, and I've seen it happen in our community, in our church to, to people. Uh, you know, a, a town board that, that, that gets false information about, you know, this or that, or a homeowner's association that is incited against the, and, and on and on it goes, using agencies to harass people. And that's what a false witness looks like in our modern times. 
and it is a stench in the nostrils of God. Look, when it's true, it's true. When it's not true and it's portrayed as the truth and those who are portraying it know it's not the truth, God is offended because God is a God of truth. Now, what about when the government lies to its citizens? The governments of the world that lie to manipulate its citizens are essentially being false witnesses. Do you know the people in other countries that don't have a free press or don't have, you know, a, a right to free speech? Do you know their government can control the information so perfectly that they have no idea what's really going on in the real world? People in North Korea don't know what it's like in the free world. They're told a lie about other nations. And when they, when they escape from that country and they see what's going on in the real world, they can scarcely believe it. People in Russia right now are uh, such the victim of disinformation campaigns that they think what, what's going on in Ukraine is a good thing, that the Ukrainians are happy they're there and they're being greeted as, you know, liberators and all this stuff. And the government is feeding them a lie. Meanwhile, they're shelling and bombing and murdering citizens in apartment buildings. Come on, church. We're in our own little bubble of blessing. We're all, you know, fat, dumb, and happy. Got full plates and full bellies. And do we even care about the lies that are perpetrated around the world that are killing innocent people? Hmm. Sorry to disrupt you this morning. But when governments lie to peoples uh, and their people and, and they feed them propaganda, uh, the death toll is staggering and it's an offense to God. What about industry experts and corporate leaders who lie to the masses, who essentially become false witnesses? They talk about uh, pollution and climate change to uh, tax us and destroy capitalism. They put harmful pesticides in our food and say, it's okay. They approve drugs that kill people because they know that they'll make billions in profits and only pay out millions in, in in uh, settlements for these things. And they, they say, oh, it's okay to take. And then do you know how many drugs that the CDC and, and all these, they, they recall them after 10 years, after they've killed thousands of people. And there's no financial retribution. There's no accountability. And people are like sheep. Oh, they told us to take it. Just take it. Mm. God help us. Because there are lying liars out there who will lie to line their pockets at our expense. And they are a false witness to people, and they are an abomination to God, and God hates it. When they say this is safe to eat and this GMO food and the, the pesticides, the same companies that made the pesticides that were an Agent Orange that killed thousands of our Vietnam veterans are the same companies making pesticides exactly the same under a different name, spraying it on our foods. I just love the, uh, the, the people who look uncomfortable this morning. Does the truth scare you? Does it jar you? Does it make you uncomfortable? It's still the truth. GMO seeds, are you kidding me? God made a seed, perfect. And man has the audacity to think he can engineer it and make it better and safer and yield better. Oh, and let's make it ready. Let's make it Roundup Ready seed that it can soak in our pesticides and everything and think that it's not going to give people cancer and autism and all kinds of autoimmune diseases. 
Well, I thought you were just a pastor. Yeah, but I have discernment. And God gives me wisdom, and he gives you wisdom too. And you and I need to wake up. Mm. What about when the media lies to people? We talked about what some of the nations believe about current events in the world. But what about our American media who is, has an agenda that's so obvious that if you don't see it by now, it, you're, you're just deceiving yourself, covering every minute story that fits their agenda and ignoring the proverbial elephant in the room every time when it doesn't fit. All the positive coverage for one candidate or group and all negative for the other. We're really not that stupid, are we? They say the left wing and the right wing are, are on the same chicken. <laughs> Think about that. It is good, especially if you like chicken. It's good. And at the price of wings today, I don't even know what to think. The, the media that has an agenda, every news station. Listen, I, I've paid attention. I've watched the decline of our media, of our social media. You see it. You post something now, and they, they, they put up a warning. They put up a false information thing. Jesus rose from the dead. False information, partly true. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's like, what country do we live in now? If you have an opinion or an idea or a thought that, that's different, well, you're canceled. What happens when the media lies to its people? God hates a false witness who knowingly lies for three reasons. Number one, the false witness perverts justice. That person that lies in court and has an innocent person convicted, that is a perversion of justice. That person who lies in court and has the guilty go free, that is a perversion of justice. And listen, God is... God, it's not that God's into justice, you know, he's, a, he's, a so, he's the original social justice warrior. No, God is not into justice, he is justice. One of his divine attributes is justice, and he is offended at injustice. So when someone lies and they pervert justice, it's a direct assault on the truth and justice of God. Why does God hate the false witness? Because they destroy the God-ordained civil order of society. You see, when you can't get justice in court and you can't get justice from your government representatives, by the way, we don't have any leaders in this country. We're not led around like sheep. We elect representatives to represent us. We are a constitutional republic, amen? Uh, don't say, uh, we're not a democracy. A democracy is, you know, you voted. We're a constitutional republic. Some of us should have learned history in school because if the church doesn't stand up for truth and, and you're looking at me now like you're looking at me, that means we don't get it. God, help us. Mm, well, I wish it was going to get better here, but we're going to keep going. <laughs> God hates a false witness because they destroy the civil order of things. When people can't get justice in court and justice from their representatives and we're lied to by our government, we're lied to by our media, then they take to the streets. And that's why we see cities burning down and businesses being looted and crime not being prosecuted and jails being empty. Do any of you live in the same country that I live in right now? You know, it's not political, it's biblical. It's us standing up for truth and loving truth and hating the falsehoods and realizing that our world is churning towards a one-world system prepared for the end times. God, help us to be salt and light in the earth even now. So 
the perversion of justice, the destruction of civil order. People uh, are rightly disgusted with the system. And also the fact that a false witness deceives those who are trusting them to tell the truth. When we have people that are there to represent us or there to give us, you know, wisdom, the CDC, the World Health Organization, and they're politicized and they tell us lies, it's like lying to a little child. We're trusting you to tell us the truth and you're taking advantage of us because we don't have all the facts that you have and you know it. So you can tell us half-truths or convenient truths or untruths to line your pockets. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. There's three things we should know as I close down this half of verse 19. Number one, we've all been lied to. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to face it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, we've been lied to, and at times we've believed lies. Now, God doesn't hold us responsible to always know the truth and get it right every time. If we've been tricked because people took advantage of us, that's on them, not on us. But we should love the truth enough to finally see the truth and accept the truth. But we've all been lied to and exploited at times. Those we should have trusted, uh, those we should have been able to trust took advantage of us. And, you know, it's hard to question those who represent us, those who are experts. You know, I don't get a, I, I don't have a security clearance that gets me a, 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 a briefing every morning of what's going on in the world. The president sits down and every day gets told, you know, what's going on in the world? What's going on with the nations? I think if some of us, you know, knew what was going on in the nations right now, we, we would be crippled with fear because it is a very volatile, dangerous time. And there are nations who are plotting the destruction of our nation. And their weapons capabilities are getting better and better because we've sold them the technology. China's cranking out aircraft carriers like macaroni. And we're trying to figure out which bathroom to go into or which gender we are, how to be tolerant. God help us. We've been lied to. We've been exploited by those we should have been able to trust. How, do we, how can we question the experts? I'm no virologist. I didn't study pathology in school. I don't really know what's happening in the world governments. I don't know what's going on in China, Iran, Russia, Ukraine. You and I really don't have all the facts. And we, we get fed a lot of partial truths and a lot of opinion and a lot of conjecture. So how do we know the truth? Well, sometimes we won't know the truth until we stand before God. The good news is that God knows, and he's fighting for us, and he's protecting us, and he's covering us, amen? We've all been lied to. But listen to this. God is aware of the lies. He's aware of the lies of the false witness. And he's greatly offended at every lie. He's greatly offended at every lying liar who, who uses their position of authority to confuse the masses with disinformation. God is offended at the liars, and he is keeping track. Many times we look around and we think, man, is God going to catch up with some of this nonsense that's going on? God, come on, we see it. The people of God see it. We know what's at stake here. There's souls at stake. And it goes from bad to worse to worse to worse, and it seems like the, the wicked are always winning and the righteous are always taking the loss. God, are you paying attention? God, do you see what's happened? I can assure you, 
110% that God is aware of every lie. He's aware of every abuse of power. He's aware of every time someone tells a lie and becomes a false witness to manipulate and deceive others. And the third thing I want you to know is this. The Bible warns of the final outcome of those who lie. Listen, there is a remedy for lying, and that's repentance. When we lie, we should confess that we lied, and we should repent. I've had people come to me and say, I, 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 you need to forgive me, I lied to you. And I'm kind of shocked. I'm like, why did you feel like you needed to lie to me? You know you can tell me anything, right? Yeah, I know, but I lied. Okay, well, I appreciate you confessing that. Let, let's, uh, let's break bread and let's, you know, let's cover that under the blood of Jesus and start afresh. But the remedy for lying is repentance. But the problem is there are some people who are so comfortable with lying and, and love the power that lying gives them so much that they refuse to repent and they lie on top of lies on top of lies. And the Bible warns us of the final destiny of the liar who won't repent. Revelation 21.8 says this, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, say liars, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Ouch. So while it looks like the liars get away with lying and they're never held accountable and justice is never served, be aware that God sees it all. And if the liars won't repent, they'll burn in the lake of fire, which is the second death. What does that mean? Once we die a natural death, everything that's born dies and we die. But the second death is at the judgment seat of Christ, is at that great white throne judgment where God judges the wicked and they're cast into the lake of fire. Look, that's not a crowd I want to be in. Lying should not be part of anything we do as believers. And those who lie and become false witnesses to manipulate others will face the judgment of God. So don't get so bothered at what's going on and realize God is paying attention. And that vengeance is not ours, it's the Lord's. You and I should pray for those who are lying. We should pray that they would repent. We should pray that the truth would be told. We should be lovers of truth and praying for the truth. We should be lovers of souls and praying for sinners to repent. So now that we've learned everything we ever wanted to know and some things we didn't want to know about lying, we're going to shift gears in verse 19. Some of you look like you just ran a marathon out there, like you're dead. Was it really that taxing? I had to preach it. But the, the verse shifts a little bit here. It says a false witness who speaks lies, and we get that, and we understand all the ramifications of it now, and then one who sows discord among brethren. Now, verse 19, the second half, that little blurb of Scripture there, one who sows discord among brethren, is the grand finale. It is the seventh thing that God hates. We covered feet that are swift to running to evil, and when we did, we detailed many of the characteristics of the type of person that's described here. The person who sows discord among brethren, they are, in fact, the type of person that has feet that run swift to evil. But what this verse is describing here is someone who is a troublemaker, who has a twisted heart, and who likes to create drama. 
Anybody know any troublemakers? Man, there's one in every family. There's one at every Thanksgiving table. There's one in every neighborhood. Do you know the troublemaker in your neighborhood? If you don't, it's probably you. There's one in every crowd just making trouble, amen, stirring up drama. Drama. Save that drama for your mama, right? We don't, we don't want any drama. Hey, we want to live peaceable lives. We want to live in the truth. But there's people who are excited at the fact that they would sow discord among brethren. And verse 19 is zeroing in on a very specific type of troublemaker here, the one who attacks unity. Say unity. Unity is very important. If you've ever seen unity in a team, uh, at a job, in the office, you realize there's a synergy that's created by unity where all the parts are working together and together you can accomplish more than you could as an individual. Right? Unity is a powerful thing. You, you see a sports team that has unity. I remember some of the sports teams I grew up watching where, you know, they're, they were winning the pennant. They're winning the, they're going to the playoffs every year. They're winning the World Series. And there was a unity there. And you could just look at certain teams and you're like, there ain't no way this team's going anywhere. Too many big stars. Too many chiefs. Too many, it's all about me. Might as well turn it off and read your Bible. You're wasting your time. But unity is a powerful thing. Now, the type of troublemaker that sows discord among brethren is the person who attacks the unity that's found in brotherhood. Unity is such a powerful thing. When man is unified, it actually gets the attention of heaven. You know, there's a place in Scripture where man was totally unified, where God came down from heaven and disrupted their unity because they had united against God to, to shake their fist at heaven. Now, Genesis 11 chronicles this event, and it said they were about to build the Tower of Babel, if you know this biblical story here. It shows us the power of unity, and I want you to listen to this. Genesis 4.8, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad the face of the earth. Verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. Did you see that? God, God noticed their unity. And they shall have one language, and this is what they will begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do we will be withheld from them. What is God saying? He said, when man is unified, they're unstoppable. They're, they can do things that, you know, are destructive. So God said in verse 7, come, let us go down there and confuse the language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Man with one language in one accord unified themselves against God, said we're going to build a tower that reaches to heaven. We're going to shake our fist in the hand of God. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And God said, I don't think so. And he came down and he goes, you guys, that's a wicked plan you got there. And I'm going to scatter you and you're not going to understand each other. And I'm going to destroy the wicked unity that you created. Unity is a powerful thing. So powerful that it will move the hand of God against those who unify for wicked purposes. Number two, unity was and is Jesus' greatest hope for his church. 
listen to John 17. Jesus wants us to be unified, amen? In John 17, starting in verse 10, Jesus speaking to his father, he says, and all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus' greatest hope for his church was that we would be unified. And the greatest attack of the enemy is to destroy the unity of the people of God. That's why we're fragmented, fragmented, constantly dividing over theology. We have different denominations. We have so many denominations, I can't keep up with them. Well, we believe this and we believe that. We believe Jesus is coming. We don't believe Jesus is coming. We believe in sexual purity. We believe that anything goes. And the body of Christ is fragmented. And we can't agree even on basic biblical things. We can't even agree on the fact that murdering a baby in the womb is in fact murder, not just health care. Unity was Jesus' greatest hope for the people of God. We're not supposed to be fragmented. Listen, if another person is in a different church, a different denomination, a different pastor, and they believe some different things about non-essential things, if they believe Jesus is the only way to salvation, if they believe in the authenticity of Scripture, if they believe in the basics of Christianity, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And we should unify with them. In essentials, we must have unity. In non-essentials, we have grace. So unity is a powerful state. Unity was Jesus' greatest hope for the church, and our unity is a direct threat to the kingdom of darkness. You know, a church that is fragmented and has division in it, a church that is split, a church that attacks leadership, has no power that the enemy needs to worry about. Yet a church that has unity in all of those areas that is in one accord, that loves one another, that follows the Holy Spirit, that honors God-ordained leadership, that church, much like those who are wanting to make the Tower of Babel, can accomplish anything God purposes them to do. Amen? Our unity is a direct threat to the darkness. Acts 2, 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come... They were all in one accord in one place. Do you know what that means? Unity. One accord in one place. And suddenly there came the sound from the heavens of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What does unity do? It positions us for a move of the Holy Spirit. What does unity do? It allows the power of God to sit upon us as individuals so that we can do the things of the kingdom and push back the darkness. Come on. I wish somebody would get excited this morning. Amen. Unity allows the Holy Spirit to move. We need the Holy Spirit to move. We need the Holy Spirit to do signs, wonders, and miracles in this place. Amen. So that the world can no longer stand on the outside and scoff and go, ah, those Christians, they fight more than worldly people. You know, there's so much division in some churches, people look at it and go, what? They'd rather join a gang, it's safer. (laughs) 
unity. Matthew 18, verse 20. Therefore, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Just the unity, the unity, I'm just combining words, the unity that creates a synergy when two of us come together and God shows up, amen? Yeah. That's a good thing. We need each other. We need each other. Well, it doesn't matter if I'm here at church. Yeah, it matters. When you're here, there's more unity. There's more synergy. There's more giftings. There's more praise offered up to God. Amen? That's just something I had in my spirit as I stepped up to the pulpit in the second service here. I want to say this to everyone here. You matter. You matter. When you're not here, something's missing. You say, yeah, it's me. I'm missing. No, there's what you bring to the body of Christ is missing. Every single one of you. You say, well, you don't know, Pastor. I struggle. I got sin. I got issues. Look, we all do. But when we're together, the spirit makes us one. And the the power that's released, oh, I want to see the Holy Spirit move in Dutchess County. I want to see the Holy Spirit move in Full Gospel Center. I want to see the Holy Spirit move at this altar. I want to see my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers up at this altar getting saved and accepting Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. That only comes with unity. And because it only comes with unity, the enemy loves to use those who sow discord among the brethren to shatter our unity. Now, I want to close down with this. I want you to notice the methodology of the person who attacks our unity. It says here, one who sows, say sows, discord among brethren. So, We know that sowing is scattering seed. We know the parable of the sower. We know that happens when you scatter seed, you plant a certain seed, you get a certain harvest, amen? Now, as we drive through the county, we see tall cornfields that are turning green, and, you know, hopefully we get some rain here before, you know, we turn into the dust bowl of the Great Depression. But, uh, you know, we see you sow the seed, you reap a certain crop. The sower... The one who attacks unity sows a specific seed. It is the seed of division. And he sows it among brethren. So understand the methodology of the person the enemy uses to attack unity. They subtly plant small seeds that you can't see at first that are seeds of dissension that will eventually bring a harvest of division. That's how they operate. They're the type of person who will come to you and say, you know, well, uh, I like the pastor and everything, but I don't, I don't think he's right about this. Or, you know, I, I like Full Gospel Center, but, you know, maybe you should hop around a little bit and try some other spots. Or, you know, uh, well, you know well, well, I like Christianity, but there's, there's other ways to enlightenment. You know, I like church as much as the next person, but you don't have to go every week. Or, or you know... Serving Jesus is fine, but you don't have to get involved in ministry. Little seeds, little seeds. Be aware of the person who's sowing those seeds. Did you ever have somebody say something to you and you're like, well, where did that come from? And you're like, we were just talking about baseball, and now all of a sudden you're, you're attacking leadership or you're making me question my faith? Come on, we pick up on stuff like that. It's weird. You're like, you're, you're weird. Learn to discern, amen. Amen. I love you too, John. 
Learn to discern the little foxes. Learn to smell the wolves. Predators have a certain smell. If you've ever been up close to them, they have a certain smell. I can smell deer in the woods when the wind is right from a long way away. Their dander has a certain smell. I can smell a buck in rut. If you think I'm kidding, you ask my wife. I'll be like, there's three of them. And they smell delicious. See, we need to learn to smell the scent of the wolves and the foxes and the spiritual predators that want to sow seeds of discord in us and chase them away. So beware of those who would divide marriages and families and siblings. In almost 30 years of ministry, Pastor Mike, I've always seen that the wolves, when they come in, they attack young Christians and they attack unstable marriages. If your marriage is unstable, be careful of who is attracted to you who says, oh, I want to help you. I want to counsel you. I, I, I want to I speak into your situation. Unless they're God-ordained leadership, they're not safe. Come to the church and get counseling from the pastors. <laughs> I've seen the wolves. I've seen the snakes. I've seen the little foxes come in there to try and divide marriages, to try and divide families, to, to, to trick siblings into fighting one another. Beware of those who turn close friends against one another. That person who's always trying to insert themselves in a relationship to push another person out. Look, we've all seen these things. Hopefully, it's clicking with us and the light's going on that this is not just, you know, people. This is a spiritual thing. That those that would divide close friends that would come in and stir up trouble or suspicion or jealousy. Why do they always get this? Why do they always get Why are they always in the spotlight? Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. <laughs> Dividing close friends. Little seeds of dissension designed to produce division. Beware of those who tried to divide you from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, you can skip Wednesday night, or you can skip Sunday, or you could take a little time off, or you could bow out of that ministry. Come run with me. Come do some of these things. Come have some fun. You're missing out on all the fun. And the seats are empty. Sunday's fun day. No, it's the Lord's day. Sunday's not fun day. <laughs> now, I have fun on Sunday. But it's not, Sunday's not my fun day. When I hear that, I want to just, it's the Lord's day. Oh, come run with us. Come do this. And little by little, they pull you away from the routine of fellowship, of church attendance, so you're swallowed back into the world. And all of a sudden, you start doing some things you haven't done in years. You're smoking stuff you shouldn't smoke. You're drinking too much. You're in places you should never be. <laughs> Some people are going to hear this on the, on, the, on, on the internet and they're going to be in those places. They're going to be like. The one who sows division. Be very awake. Be very aware. And I close with this. Thomas Brooks in his work, The Puritan's Treasury, said this. Labor mightily for a healing of your own spirit. Do away with all things 
that discriminate and hinder the applying of the healing balm to the wounds of your heart. Listen, discord and division are unbecoming to the Christian. For when the wolves worry the lambs, it's no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another lamb is unnatural and monstrous. God, deliver us from the wolves in sheep clothing. God, deliver us from those who would divide and disrupt our unity. Remove them from our midst that we would have the unity that attracts the move of the Holy Spirit in this place. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give him praise today. Give him praise today. So now that we've covered every topic, every one of the seven things that the Lord hates, close your eyes and listen to the text this morning. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren." Father, as your children, we want to be so far removed from these things that they would not even be something that would come out of our lips, much less things that we would be actively involved in. Help us, Lord, to have discernment and to spot the wolves and the foxes and the snakes, Lord, that want to destroy the unity that you put in your church. Father, I pray today that each of us would learn to hate the things that you hate because these things hurt people and you love people and we love people and we want to see people saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning.